Welcome to Orange Crest Community Church and OCCathome.com. We are so glad you're here. At OCC, our mission is to invite people to take their next steps with Jesus. And so we pray that through our time together, you're encouraged and challenged to move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to Orange Cast Community Church. Last week, we launched a three-week uh, series of messages looking at this question right here. It's the question, is, is the God that I read about in the Word, in the Bible, really the God of this world that we're living in? And, and, and it really is an important question. Is the God that, that we worship really the same God that, that can guide our lives and can be trusted to speak into the most complex issues of reality and even, even the most painful experiences that we'll ever face? Can we really trust that God is there and that he is really involved? So last week we began by looking at some questions about the origins of first the universe. That was week one, and we asked, is, is the God of the Word really the God of the, of the universe? And so I invite you to check that out. You can review that uh, message. It's, it's available on here. And then today we're going to focus our attention upon the origins of the human body. And the question is, is this story in the beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, is this what really happened? Or are we to treat these words as more of like a tale? or an allegory, or simply just a man-made tradition, even as some would, would have a say, with, you know, some would say, with no relevance to real life. So we're going to look at that today. Next week, we're going to look further into the mind and really ask the question, is the God of the Word really the God who relates to us and has given us the ability to relate back to Him and then to one another in our interpersonal relationships and to be able to learn about His ways through our mind he has given us the ability to know him, to know wisdom, to know truth. Or are we to believe that, that there really is no absolute truth, no standards at all, and ultimately no point to our existence? And so these are important questions, and, and I hope this will, if anything, pique your interest to investigate a little bit further, maybe to refresh your, your understanding. I'm hoping also that you might do a little bit deeper reading on these topics. And so uh, at the heart of the question regarding the origins of, of human life is this debate. It's the debate between creation versus evolution. And, you know, this is something that is not new. This is debated. We see interviews about it on TV. You read about articles. Certainly, if you're in the church, you realize there's this debate that goes on. If you're not a part of the church and you wouldn't call yourself a, a believer in, in, uh, in God, then you would, you, you know, you're aware of this debate as well. But even some families are divided over this whole issue. There's even a joke I, I've heard in different forms through the years. It goes something like this. One day, a young, a young girl goes to her mom and says, Mom, where did we come from? And, and, and the mom said, you know, that's a really good question, darling. And, and God made Adam and, and Eve in his image, and they had their children, and then they had their children, and they had their children, and more and more. And this is where the whole human race came from. And the little girl on the same day, goes to her father and asks the very same question. Daddy, where did, where did we come from? And, you know, the father says, hey, that's, that's a hard question. He, he said, you know, millions of years ago, there were apes that gradually changed into the human race. Well, as you can imagine, the little girl was confused, and she goes back to her mother, and she said, Mom, how come you told me that the human race was created by God, and, and Daddy is saying that we came from apes? And Mom said to her, well, that's easy. I told you about my side of the family, and your father told you about his side of the family. Now, I've heard that before expressed in different forms, but there you have it. There's really a debate over this. There's a debate even within families of, of where did we come from. There's debates 
uh, amongst friends. Where did we really come from as humans? And so we're really looking at this issue, this debate between creation and evolution. Evolution teaches this. It teaches that we evolved and changed at a, at a macro level, at a, at, a, at a large level, not just on a small micro level, but that we have evolved and changed at a macro level. And so evolution teaches that over a long period of time, there were actual changes in species. And so, for example, here's a picture that you can, you can see, the difference between microevolution and macroevolution. So on the one side, you see with microevolution, you see a change within species, small changes within species. So you have a variety of, of different uh, breeds of dogs, and you see the, you know, the uh, microevolution is really a change within this, this type, this kind. Uh, there are, are changes due to factors, changes like immigration, domination, reproduction. There is, there is clear adaptation that we're aware of and have evidence of microevolution. And certainly the breeding of dogs is a real familiar example, or even other animals. But these changes are all in the species. They're all in the species of, in, in this term, Canis familiaris. And so you see that the, the, the wolf... And you, you see this, this species in all of these different pictures here. Now, moving over to the macroevolution, you see this is a change of species. And so somehow there's a change of entire species to new, new kinds of species, the formation of new species over, again, a very long period of time. Now, microevolution can happen in a short period of time, but macroevolution would require, they would say, evolutionists would teach that this would require a very long period of time. So from a protozoa, a single-celled organism, to a multi-celled organism, to fish, to amphibian, to reptile, then to mammal. And so you see this process moving uh, where new kinds of species are being formed. Now, that's a very simple, basic summary of evolution. And, uh, but we'll come back to this. But this is taught as fact. It's as if there is a a mountain of evidence to prove evolution. This is taught in the classrooms um, as fact. Uh, but there are there are just you know there, there are just some problems with evolution. Uh, I'm not going to be able to cover all of all of the problems that 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 we could look at. But here are some maybe to just get you thinking about this issue. So first, there's a lack of fossil record from the from the transitional periods, and so it. it just doesn't exist in the way that you'd want to be able to believe and really stake your life on this belief of evolution that that this that evolution answers uh, the human life origins question. They're just not the fossil record showing the transitional period. And in order to go from from microevolution to macroevolution, you'd need some help from the outside. In order to go from one species to the next, you need some sort of an outside factor uh, to change that. Now. If this just happened naturally, then the fossil record should really support those transitions. And, and there's just not the evidence of that kind of change. And maybe, maybe if there was some other evidence in our world, like in our living world, for example, some people would cite Darwin's finches are, are a good example. Uh, as Darwin studies, he, he observed uh, different lengths of finch beaks. And so, but that is, you know, that, there, is a, there is a change there. Uh, the microevolution may be what's going on there, there's, but there's even a question about whether or not this is even microevolution with Darwin's finches or just a species responding to 
their environment and that this bird actually has the ability uh, in the way that they were made to have a longer beak depending on over in order to get more water. So the effects of a rainy season versus a drought season, some would say this isn't even a microevolution, but this is just a, a change in beak uh, that this bird had the ability to uh, to uh, to experience this adaptation. So another problem, though, another problem is irreducible. The problem of irreducible complexity, and this is essentially nothing can change gradually in a step by step process without all of the parts in the right working order for those to function. So. Where do you get the materials to become more complex? Where do those materials come from? We're going to put a link on the screen. You can watch this. Uh, you can reference this later, but you can write down this web link. It's a video that you can find. And this is really going to highlight the complexity of the flagellum motor in operation in the cell. So, which the cell was originally thought to be very, very basic. And, and in fact, it is, as you can imagine, it is quite complex. And so check out that video. And and you'll ask, where does this come from? You'll watch this video and you'll see just how complex this motor is that functions in the cell. Again, that was that was thought to be in this even the simplest organ of organisms are, are just way too complex. That's what we've learned through science. Again, there would need to be some outside help to pull this off. That's another problem. Evolution doesn't explain that. Another problem with evolution is, is this. It's the genetic limits to change. And so even with our advanced intelligence, for us here and now, when we breed dogs or cats, we have limits within the genus. So we, we can't seem to make a cat out of a dog. We, we have not been able to pull that off. And what, what the issue is, if using all of our intelligence and all of our advancements, that we have, if we can't pull that off, how are we to believe that non-intelligent life forms did this over time through natural processes? Uh, we, we have lots of examples of microevolution, but we've never been able to recreate or even document a specific example, a solid example of macroevolution, a change in kind, a change in species. And so Near the end of, of this message, I'll go a little further on the problems and the challenges to evolution. But more than that, I want to point you to some resources so that you can look into this for yourself. Look at some of the problems with the current form of evolution, which we refer to as neo-Darwinian evolution. And what I want to do is that's really just a, a brief summary of evolution and some of the problems initially. But I want to shift and I want to talk and contrast that, that with what the Bible says. So let's look at creationism. Now, Let's pick this up in the book of, of Genesis to highlight the major uh, differences in these views of creation. So, we'll look in the very first book of the Bible. And, you know, the Bible differentiates the creation of humans from all other living creatures. The Bible actually teaches distinct parts of creation. God made different species of living creatures. And they were distinct from each other. That's how it's revealed in the Bible. So, the fifth day of creation brought the creation of the fish and the birds. So, this is in Genesis 1, verse 20 through 23. It says, so the Bible teaches that, that God actually commanded life into its, different, into its different kinds to come into existence. He, he created. He is the creator. He is able to create out of nothing. Make no mistake, 
This is by and through his divine power. Uh, this is a miracle. So we're talking about the creation of, of life. This is not common. This is not something that is typical. That's why we don't call these usuals. No, we, we call these miracles. These are acts of God. And so let's read the account of, of the fifth day. Genesis 1 verse 20 reads, Then God said, Let the water swarm with living creatures. Swarm, like fill it up. Okay, swarm. Swarm with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So he fills the waters and the sky with living creatures. The word swarm, some translate this as to teem with. So it's to essentially, uh, it, it means like innumerable abundance to swarm. Okay. Verse 21, so God created the large sea creatures and every living creature that moves and swarms in the water according to to their kinds. Now, this phrase or this word "kinds," according to their kinds, this word in the Hebrew means is it's a category. It means a category of, of things distinguished by some common character or or quality. Okay, this is this is a certain type. Okay, according to their kinds, and then it says he also created every winged creature that moves according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. So God blessed, it says in verse 22, God blessed them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the waters of the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. So he created these creatures in the sea, you know, in the air. He, he's creating them with the ability to reproduce. And then it says in verse 23, evening came and then morning, the fifth day. Now, if we take this literally, this is saying God, he made all life, all human life, all, all animal life. God creates by the power that he has. He creates. This is not a usual. This, this again, this is a miracle. And so to reject the miraculous ability or the power of God to create, what this is going to do, this will call into question his ability to do most everything else that we read about in the Bible. Because this book is full of, it's full of God displaying his power. And so by the time we get to Jesus, the God-man, God who's fully God, fully man, the God of the universe, who came here, who took on flesh, this again is not natural. This requires a supernatural being with the power to pull this off. So let's keep moving on to the sixth day. There's more miraculous creating, miraculous creating by God and, and, and will culminate really in the climax of creation. So the sixth day of creation brought the land animals, the crawling creatures, and finally the first man, Adam, who was made in God's image. So let's look at Genesis 1, 24 through 28. It says, Then God said, Let the earth produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that crawl on the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds. Again, specific category, specific type. So God made the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds. Again, specific category, specific category of things distinguished by common characteristics or qualities. So according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that crawl on the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So there's something distinct here that we have to pause. God makes mankind. He makes man in he says, let's make man in our image, according to our likeness. 
Now, Adam is created, the first man is created as an image bearer. Some of God's nature is imprinted on him and on humanity, on mankind, on you and on me. Let us make man in our image. Some would look at this and say, who, who is he talking about here? Let us. Who's God talking? Well, God is, is Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. All the Bible would teach us, we learn from Scripture, that uh, about the Trinity, that God has eternally existed as a three-in-one, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And they're involved, different, play different aspects in the creating of, of all things. And so here, when, when God makes man, let us make man in our image, Adam bears the image and likeness of God in some ways. He goes on, they will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Now, the Bible declares that, that humans didn't evolve from the animals, but were a special part of God's creation. This is a very distinct uh, belief here. It, 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 this is what differentiates the claims of evolution and the claims of creation. The Bible declares that, that this was a special part of God's creation. Verse 28, God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. So again, God sets these things apart. There, there's a difference here between him making the animals, the birds, the living creatures in the sea, uh, the living creatures on the land, and then it, he distinguishes it from the creation of the first man. Next, God gave Adam the breath of life. So look at the next chapter in the Bible. We sort of zoom in on God's creation of, of the first man, Adam. It says this, Then the Lord God formed the man. The word in Hebrew is Adam. Out of the dust from the ground. The ground, the, the word in Hebrew is Adamah. And so he formed Adam, Adam, out of the ground, out of, out of the dust from the ground, from the Adamah. And, and, you know, God forms, like, the, he forms the first man out of the earth. The only way I can sort of imagine this is, is sort of pottery class. That God forms and fashions the man. He completes the man. Everything, the shell, the inside, the outside, everything. He fashions the man just as he intended. And then it says this about him. And he breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. And the man, it says, became a living being. So God breathes life into Adam. God gives him life and gives him a soul. And he comes to life. You know, God, who has always existed, breathes. So God is eternal. He breathes into Adam. Uh, eternity. He breathes into him his soul, his eternal soul, and his physical life. You know, this is a powerful scene here in Scripture. This is, again, not a usual. This is a miracle. It's not fully explainable. This defies our human understanding, our logic, our abilities. You know, our, our, our capacity as humans just limits our, uh, the way, you know, even the way that we read this. It's, we can understand this to a, uh, to a certain extent, but there are just human limits. Next thing we see here is Adam was given responsibility, accountability, privilege, and relationships. So this speaks to 
Adam's intelligence, uh, the greater responsibility given, the role that he was given. He's a steward of the earth. So look at uh, Genesis 2, verse 15. It reads this, The Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any of the trees of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. So boundaries were set. There's a boundary. This is, uh, this is the limit that God had set. You're free to eat from this, from these trees. You're free to enjoy this. But this is off limit. So there's a boundary that God had set. And then it says in verse 18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. It's not good for Adam to be alone. This is actually the first time we see this phrase here in Scripture that, that, uh, that it's not good. Okay, What's not good? Well, it's not good for him to be on his own. So here comes the first relationship. Here comes a helpmate for Adam, a companion. And so it says, I will make a helper corresponding to him. And so the Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was his name. The man gave, gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the sky, to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. And so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man. And he slept, and God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. And then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. Now, if we're not created, if we're not created as, as, the, as the Bible's declaring here, then, and if, if we're just animals, then it means I have to create meaning for myself. It means I have to create purpose for my life. Also, it means I, I would have, if I'm not created, it would mean I have no inherent value. I have to create value for myself. And the Bible story differs here. God says that you and I, humans, we were made in the image and in the likeness of our creator, God. And it shows up when we, when we, choose, to, we choose to do good. You know, that's, that's, that's God's image being reflected. When we choose to act in ways that reflect the image and nature of God, it is due to this imaging issue. We're imaging God in the world. When we choose to do the opposite, when we choose to sin, when we choose to do harm, when we choose to do evil, and, and evolutionists might say that this is just the proof of our animal instinct, instinct sort of coming out. It's our, this is our heritage. This is our ancestry. And, but the Bible would just say this, this is the fall. This is the result of the fall of man. When, when Adam rebelled and crossed the boundary line that God had set here, that we see in Genesis 2. In the next chapter, we see him crossing the boundary line and sinning. And at that point, sin entered the world and was passed on into the human race. So the good, where does that come from? Well, actually, it comes from God. It comes from God. James chapter 1, verse 13, 13 through 18, we read that every good and perfect gift has come from the Father. We actually experience good in, in life because of that. Just before that, those verses in James 1, we see that that death is a result of, of sin. It's the result of the fall. And it can be traced back to the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3. But let's, let's go a little further into this issue of the complexity of what God has made with mankind. So, I want to flip to the middle of the Bible, Psalm chapter 139. 
And really, the human body is remarkable and it's wonderful. So look at Psalm 139, verse 13 through 16. It reads this, For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. So our complexity, I love this passage of Scripture, Psalm 139. Our complexity is beyond words. The human body, it's, it's beyond words. From a, from a single cell, which is quite complex, we, know now, we now know, to remarkable and wonderful. This is absolutely amazing, the human body. So let's break down some of the features of, of the human body. Uh, you know, our skin. Our skin. Our skin encloses what's inside. This is the shell for our body. It's amazing. Your skin, my skin, no thicker than three-sixteenths of an inch, waterproof, nerve endings, in, in the skin that really allow us to have all sorts of sensations. So you can, you can feel the prick of a pin, or if you run your hand along some wood, you might feel the, the sliver for days. Mosquito bite, you can feel that sometimes. Also the gentle breeze. Again, your skin, it's amazing. It regulates your temperature, defends us against, against injury and germs. This is a barrier. And so, now that's just one part of your body, your skin. What about the organ of your heart? Your heart pumps 72 times a minute on average, 40 million times a year without, without you doing anything to produce that. Whether you're asleep, whether you're awake, your, your heart is, is functioning without you deciding that it should function. It just, it just does it. God made you in this way. Look at Psalm 73, verses 23 through 26. It reads, yet I am always with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me up in glory. Who do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. God, he, he's the one that he made you, he created you, and he keeps your heart pumping. Your heart, it's a powerful organ fashioned by your creator. What about your lungs? Your lungs, I mean, the, the lungs, they work, again, automatically. You don't have to decide. You, 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 you do this. You breathe. You take in air. Oxygen flows through your body. Not through you working to produce that. You may work hard. You may get a good workout in. You may push your body, and you can do that. But just the, the, the function, the normal function of your lungs, this is miraculous. Carrying oxygen in the blood to the rest of the body. So Genesis 2, 7, when it says, Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the, from the ground, breathed the life, the breath of life into the, into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living being. God, somehow, God breathed into, he breathed life into us, he declares. What about your blood flow? Fights off germs, fights off viruses. Uh, your blood builds antibodies to fight off infection. You... You and I, we have an amazing circulatory system, and it, I don't understand all of these things, but I do understand that our antibodies remember, uh, they remember what, what invades your bloodstream to fight off future diseases. And so your body's able to, uh, 
it's, it's smart. We get this idea that God made us with a smart body. Then the reproductive system. Each human being begins as a single cell. Father's sperm and a mother's egg. From one cell to 35 trillion cells. This is, again, you have to just marvel at how, how, did, how is this possible? Then your muscles. Your muscles. Today is Super Bowl Sunday. Today we're going we're gonna to see a display of athleticism at its finest as you watch these amazing throws, these amazing catches and leaps and all of that. This is just another display of this remarkable body that, that was fashioned by God. Then you have your senses. And again, all without you consciously uh, choosing to operate your senses, these, these just function to perceive, to be able to communicate what's going on out in the outside world, our senses, God has given those to us. Maybe from my perspective, the eye, maybe the most amazing of all the parts of the body, the eye, to be able to see, uh, to, to have sight. Uh, you know, this is, again, it's, it's part of what God has made. He's, he's allowed you to see. And we could just go on and on. The body of yours is so remarkable. It's, it is wonderfully made. So as you can see, the human body is truly fascinating. And so if this is true, and the God of the Word is really the God of the world, including the creator of the human body, then people made purposefully in the image of God should be protected and valued. We need to think through what, what does all of this mean? That's at least one thing. We should protect and value life. Psalm 139, verse 16, that, that, that passage that we read, it says in the middle there in verse 16, your eyes saw me when I was formless. Like God saw you. He saw you in your mother's womb. He saw you even before you were, I mean, he knew you even before you were created. It says, all of your days, all my days, were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. So, who are we, the psalmist is declaring, who are we to cross over this sacred line of determining to end life? God has a plan and he has a purpose for giving and ending life. And if our days have been written and, and numbered by God, then we should protect and value it. At OCC, we have this statement of faith about the sanctity of human life. We believe that, that all human life is sacred and created by God in his image. Human life is of inestimable worth in all its dimensions, including preborn babies, the aged, the physically or mentally challenged, and every other stage of or condition from conception through natural death. And we're therefore called to, to defend, to protect, and to value all human life. Now, people made purposely in the image of God should show concern, gratitude, and care for their body and, and others. So we're taught this. In, in 1 Corinthians in the New Testament, one of the leaders, Paul, he taught this to one church. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have from God? God has come to live on the inside. And he says, you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. That price was the blood of Jesus. He redeems us. He comes to live inside us. And so glorify God with your body. So being made by God in his image elevates the issue of holiness. What this does is this challenges us to consider our purity, our health, our practices. To consider we belong to God, so we're to honor him in the way that we use and the way that we treat our bodies. Now, another mark of people made purposefully in the image of God is they yield to the direction and the authority of their creator. If you were to bend the knee to God, meaning if you were to submit your life to 
Jesus Christ and yield your whole life to him. What this means is you're giving God permission to spoil all your big ideas. You're just acknowledging that God is above all. He is He is supreme over all. His ways are higher. His thoughts are higher and his ways are right. And even our very best ideas, you just recognize that his ways are so far superior than our best ideas. So take a look at this video that highlights the superiority of God's intelligence. We look at something like an iPhone, and it is a marvel, right? A technological marvel. It's far beyond things of yesteryear that were technological marvels. You look at a steam engine, it's complex, but you look at an iPhone and it's like mind-bogglingly complex. No one could pick up an iPhone or a smartphone of any kind and think that it was an accident, right? We know that thousands of people spent probably millions of hours on the different aspects of this, the different components that go into something like this. It might not be quite as obvious to a non-biologist how much more complex even a simple organism, a worm, a firefly is than a smartphone. But it's true. If you look at the inner workings of something as simple as, say, a firefly, you find that it's layer upon layer upon layer of complexity. All these things are very sophisticated in how they function. The mere fact that a firefly comes from a single cell that then develops into a firefly puts it in a completely different league. That doesn't happen with smartphones. Factories make smartphones. Fireflies come from fireflies and they come from an initial fertilized cell. It's absolutely mind-boggling. We have no idea how a single cell produces an adult. These things are marvelous. And it's, it's for that reason, I think, that Scripture keeps coming back to this idea of God challenging Job. Is it by your understanding that the hawk soars and and spreads his wing to the south. And Job, when challenged with something like that, realizes, ah, I said too much. I'll shut up and I'll let you speak. I uttered things which I did not understand. So he references Job and, and his acknowledgement that we have limits on our understanding. And so much of this issue, as we talk about creation versus evolution, so much of this issue rests with the issue of authority. Who is Lord? Are you the boss? Are you God? Are you... At the top, do you reign supreme? For most people, this is the heart of the issue. The issue is I don't want to let God be in charge of my life. I don't want to have to follow his ways. I don't want to have to uh, submit to, uh, to his word. I, I want to write the rules. And for most, this is why this issue uh, is, is so important to wrestle through. We're actually going to spend more time on this next message and possibly one more after that but this becomes an issue of morality which leads us to this final point uh, we're accountable to him a person needs to make sure that their resistance to christianity is not a smokescreen to just keep them from having to change if if our resistance to embracing christ is because we we really don't want to be accountable to god look at hebrews four thirteen. it reads no creature is hidden from him but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And our, our lives are open to God. We're accountable to God. We'll stand before God. And we'll look at some of those, those moral issues again next week and possibly we'll look at that the week after. But I want to leave you with some resources on the debate over Darwinism. Darwinism originally, it, it seemed to be scientific. It, it sort of fit 
the biological knowledge of the 1850s, including the thought that a cell was kind of a lump of, of uncomplex jelly. It seemed to explain how life developed without the need for a God. And this became a boost for the intellectuals and others who wanted to live in, in violation of, of Christian morality. Therefore, it became this. It became the party line for the universities, and, and, but now it has been in trouble for decades. And so, since 1970, Darwin's ideas have been increasingly in trouble. From high-level mathematics and mathematicians who concluded the Darwinian scheme was so incredibly unlikely to occur that it, that it just should be abandoned. We're actually going to look partially at this next week. From paleontology due to explosions of new life forms in the fossil record, instead of, instead of the predicted sort of slow and gradual progressive development of new forms, the Cambrian explosion and other bursts of life show these, these new life forms in the fossil records, these explosions, and so that, that creates a problem. From cellular biology, which revealed that, that cells are made of scores of incredible complex biological machines, those motors which must act in synchrony to DNA research, which revealed that the DNA molecule contains vast and incredibly complex information, which, which controls its operations and makes life possible. And there's no way for that information to have arisen from non-living sources. And so that new information must be inserted into the DNA chain in order for one life form to morph into another. And there's no way for that information to be inserted. But attempts have been made to update Darwin's ideas, but the updates have not stopped the deterioration of, of his theory. And currently, non-religious, high-level academics are abandoning, are beginning to abandon Darwinism as, as developing science makes it more and more unlikely. For example, and here's some research I would encourage you to, to purchase and just check out for further study. Uh, check out from Neil Thomas, Taking Leave of Darwin, A Long-Time Agnostic Discovers the Case for Design. Or David Gelertner, a professor from Yale, one of the founders of the discipline of, of computer science, uh, wrote a book you can check out, Giving Up Darwin. And then Dr. David Berlinski, an agnostic mathematician and molecular biologist, taught at Stanford, a couple of resources, The Deniable Darwin, and Atheism and Its Scientific Pretensions. So check out those resources. One other comment here. Uh, Christians, like Christ followers, wrestle with the evolution issue in a few different ways. And so one view is that, that God did form everything and then went to sleep and is not involved. Another view is that God formed everything initially and then worked through the processes of natural evolution. And this, this makes a way to resolve the tension between accepting that there is a creator and also to accept the evolutionary process. And so... Uh, we'll, we'll have to talk about these questions in another series, uh, which uh, I look forward to doing that in the future. But this is a fascinating discussion that we're having, and, and we're glad that you have joined us. A couple of next steps, just some takeaways. First would be this, is to read Genesis 1 and reflect on God's value for humans over the rest of creation. Just reread Genesis 1 and, and, and reflect on the value the responsibilities. In Genesis 2 even, you'll read about that. Be reminded about the value that God has placed on human, uh, on, on humans. Second, investigate the, the issue of evolution for yourself with, with one of those resources as you dig a little further. So, And if you found this to be helpful, I would just encourage you to consider uh, inviting someone to, to view this with you as we continue. But let's pray. Father, thank you for creating 
life. Thank you, Lord, for making us. Thank you for this remarkable and wondrous body that you have that you have fashioned and formed in your image, in your likeness. Thank you, Lord. This is a gift. Uh, our bodies are a gift that we're to uh, steward well, we're to care for, we're to care about, we're to protect, uh, we're to uh, seek to honor you with our bodies, Lord. Um, and I pray, Father, that as we wrestle through these issues of origins, that you would continue to strengthen our faith. For those that trust you and already follow you, I pray that these studies would be uh, continuing to build our confidence in you and in your word. And Father, I pray for those that are seeking, Lord, I pray that there would be a genuine openness, Lord, to discover truth. And I, and I ask you for your help in those ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at occathome.com to learn more about how to connect with us. And join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast. Have a great day.